Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMA markets. It's Tuesday, November 15th. I'm Katerina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, we'll be talking to high-yield reporter Beatrice Mavrolian to discuss UK chemical company Venator. Analyst Cedric Cassine will be joining us then to talk about the latest on French retailer Casino. Reporter Declan Bush will be telling us why UK petrol station operator EG Group has attracted the attention of some advisors. And finally, senior editor Magnus Sherman will be discussing Dubai-based real estate group Emirates Wright, which faces maturities in December. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. Hello, Beatrice. UK chemicals company Venator seems to have published disappointing third quarter earnings yesterday. Can you tell us what's going on? Hi, Katerina. So yesterday, Venator reported that third quarter adjusted EBITDA turned negative at $8 million um, from positive $48 million a year earlier. The company saw a 25% decline in sales volumes of its titanium dioxide products compared to the second quarter, as it had warned in early October. Venator also entered into an agreement to divest its iron oxide business from within the color pigments business to Cathay Industries for an enterprise value of $140 million. The company also previously uh, announced its reduced production at its Udengrin facility in Germany to minimal levels and is cutting back production at its uh, Duisburg facility also in Germany because of persistently high European energy costs. And so, Beatrice, why has Venator's performance been so bad? All the major titanium dioxide producers have, have come under pressure from sluggish demand and from higher costs, particularly for energy which is a significant cost for them. This is most noticeable for the companies with large European exposure, and Venator is unfortunately the most exposed to Europe, as well as, well as for those with older, higher-cost facilities, which also includes Venator. Of Venator's leading peers, Kronos has the largest European exposure after Venator. Accordingly, the company reported a 20% year-over-year drop in its third-quarter titanium dioxide sales volumes. Uh, Tronox, which unlike its uh, unlike its peers, is an integrated player with better performance in its feedstock and zircon segments, helping to offset weakness in titanium dioxide, reported that titanium dioxide sales volumes were 13% lower sequentially in the third quarter. The group expects fourth quarter uh, pigment uh, demand to decline 25 to 30% quarter on quarter, d- driven by customer destocking, continued weakness in Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia Pacific, and seasonal weakness in North America. And further ahead, increasing Chinese exports are also expected to add to the pressure on all these companies by forcing down prices, investors have said. And what about energy prices? How have they impacted Venator? The impact of energy prices depends on um, exposure to Europe. Venator, Kronos and Tronox have all got exposure to Europe, but Venator's exposure is the largest. Considering that the titanium dioxide segment accounts for about 75% of Venator's revenue and has um, higher natural gas intensity than the company's other segment, the performance additive segment, the titanium dioxide business most likely accounts for over three quarters of the company's gas consumption. About 89% of the segment's production capacity or 78% of you include a joint venture in the US, which is not consolidated in the company's accounts, is in Europe and therefore exposed to European gas prices, which obviously have seen dramatic rises, particularly since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And has Venator ever said how he had edged 
its gas costs. Previously, Venice said it had hedged more than half of its gas costs, but didn't provide an exact proportion. The, the price at which it was hedged or when the hedges will roll off. The proportion of gas hedges is now thought to be to gradually decline this year to reach about 50% at the end of the year. Little hedging has been done for the first half of 2023, and much of this was put in place in the first six months of 2022, so already at higher price prices. And there is a similar situation for electricity hedging. However, the pace of decline is faster and Venator will have less than 50% of its electricity needs hedged by the end of this year. French retailer Casino published encouraging third quarter results a few weeks back. Cedric, can you tell us more about the figures and how the bonds reacted? So two weeks ago, Casino published, I would say, decent results, showing recovery at its core French operations, with better same-store sales and margin improvement. The headroom under the financial leverage covenant test has also improved It's all, it is now at about 22%, compared to just 9% uh, at the end of June. The company also announced more asset sales, this time with a 500 million euros stake sale in one of its three LATAM operations. The bonds have reacted positively to the release, uh, but there's still a lot of disparity, I would say, depending on the position in the capital structure. The senior secured notes are trading near par, the unsecured bonds are trading between mid-40 and mid-80, depending on the maturity. Presumably, the proceeds from the, the, proceeds from the asset sale program should support the repayment of uh, upcoming debt maturities, but this is less certain because the, the stakes in the LATAM operations are sitting outside the restricted group. And uh, on the risk of value leakage, what is the situation? To meet its debt maturities and shore up liquidity, Casino has sold uh, since 2018 four, four billion euros worth of assets, and it will continue to do so, as I just explained. The most obvious key assets to sell are the stakes in LATAM, which are worth roughly 2.7 billion euros based on current market prices. Under the secured bonds and unsecured uh, high yield bonds documentation, The asset sale proceeds uh, covenant seems quite restrictive and protect from value leakage. There is a carve-out in the documentation that allows proceeds to be used to make restricted payments subject to capacity under the restricted payment basket. But there is currently no capacity to make such payment because leverage is too high. However, the LATAM stakes are at outside of the restricted group. In fact, The Brazilian registered holding company owning those stakes, which is called Wilkis, is also outside of the restricted group. Only the holding companies above Wilkis, Segisor and Tevia, which presumably, presumably fully own Wilkis, are inside the restricted group and therefore subject to the use of asset sale proceeds covenant. So there is a question mark here on whether proceeds from the LATAM disposal can escape Casino's creditors and be used by Jean-Charles Nauri in an attempt to maintain control over rally and uh, indirectly casino. And whether that would be too much of an extraordinary move to be tolerated by casino stakeholders. Thank you, Cedric. So assuming the company is able to execute on its asset sale program, is there another trigger to an eventual debt restructuring? 
And if so, what are the scenarios that can be foreseen? So February 2025 is when the 2 billion euros maturity wall at rally becomes due. For them to meet this wall, they need liquidity. And for them to have liquidity, they need casino leverage to, to decline so it has ability to pay dividends and a lot of dividends. Because rally only holds 52% of casino, so only 52% of the dividends will go to rally. So overall, a very unlikely scenario. A more likely scenario is that casino's leverage remains too high and a debt, a debt restructuring needs to take place. However, at this point, it remains difficult to foresee a consensual restructuring because of the differing interests of the differing creditor groups, some of whom may also have positions in the debt at rally. So all in all, there is not a lot of certainties on how the situation will resolve and we expect more twists and turns in the next two years. Britain's EG Group has grown from a single gas station in 2001 to an empire spanning over 6,000 sites across the UK, Europe, the US and Australia. But the company's high debts and questions about its governance have gotten advisors' attention. Our reporter Declan Bush is covering the company. Declan, how did EG get to this position? Well, EG Group was founded by two brothers, Mosin and Zubo Issa, near Blackburn in the north of England. They managed to grow the group into such a giant by adding convenience stores and fast food chains like KFC to their sites, where the margins are much better than what you get from selling petrol. So the Issa brothers are now billionaires, and they also co-own the British supermarket Asda along with TDR Capital. Last year, they spent more than $700 million on acquisitions, including the fast food chain Leon, the bakery chain Couplands, and the company pulled in nearly $26.5 billion in revenue in 2021. And how did EG Group pay for all of this growth? Through lots of debt. By June 30 this year, they reported net debt of about $9.4 billion. Of that, about $8.5 billion is due in 2025 when four term loans and four sets of notes fall due. So two-thirds of the debt is at floating rates, which are going to rise, and they also have 300 million euro of senior secured notes due in 2024. Now, they might manage to pay those off when the time comes, and sources expect earnings to hold up well, but it's a big maturity wall as we head into a recession. And are there any other risk factors? Well, EG Group has had a few bad headlines that raise questions about its corporate governance. Now, uh, Deloitte resigned as their auditor in 2020, citing concerns about internal controls. And in October, the Financial Times reported that the Issa brothers had bought two private jets in 2018 using interest-free loans from EG Group. Now, revenue keeps growing, EBITDA keeps growing, but sources say that all these acquisitions make it hard to tell just how well the underlying business is doing. And any more bad news over governance will be watched very closely. So it's certainly one to watch. Thanks, Declan. The Dubai-based real estate group Emirates Wright faces a $400 million maturity in December. Earlier today, I spoke with senior editor Magnus Sherman, and I asked him what is happening with this name. Well, Emirates REIT um, announced a new exchange offer yesterday, Monday. Um, the new offer is a significant step up for creditors um, that had been pushing back on the company's previous proposal um, issued last year. And um, the, the deal is backed by um, a, an ad hoc group of creditors. They hold more than 30% 
of this are cooked, so that's a very, very good start, and they need 75% uh, to, um, to pass and to implement this. And the terms are juicier for creditors. Um, this time around, the, um, the Sukuk holders will get 95% of a new instrument um, that will pay 9.5% in, in the profit rate, uh, which is equivalent to, to interest rate. Um, that's up from 5.1% offered last year. So a, a material uptick there. They are also getting a much stronger security package. Uh, the new instruments will have uh, asset coverage of at least 150% at all times. And the new maturity will be December 2024. So a two year extension with another option to extend for one more year. The uh, creditors will also receive 5% cash. Um, so the new instrument will go uh, will be uh, $380 million down from the current $400 million. And this ad hoc group of creditors uh, officially uh, and very publicly backed the, the deal announced yesterday. So um, the company is off to a very good start with this. But we'll have to see how the voting ends up uh, later this month. The early deadline to vote is next week on the 22nd. And then the final deadline is the 2nd of December, uh, with the exchange date uh, being the 12th of December, which is also the date when the currents are cooked are due to mature. Join Reorg on November 17th at 10 a.m. UK time for a webinar discussion on the outlook of the distressed debt and restructuring market in Germany. Register today for the webinar at reorg.com. More information on all of the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.